0: and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out midwayusa.com.
1: Wish you could fish more, anywhere, anytime, Rod Geeks. A St. Croix Rods partner has developed a 42 inch one piece travel rod designed and built with the same technology found in St. Croix Rods. This travel rod is offered as a kit that comes with the RG42 rod, spinning reel, fishing line, pliers and tackle tray. All in a case with space for your wallet, phone and fishing license. Just grab and go. Perfect to keep in your pickup, car or RV. This shorty performs much like a longer rod but is compact enough for easy storage and and for on the go use make this the summer you fish more rodgeeks.com guidefitter.com guidefitter bridging you to the outdoors while providing a quality platform for guides and outfitters for you to select from guidefitter is the best place to get discounts on gear if you're an outdoor professional as a game warden i'm a member of the outdoor government program which has over 80 quality brands to get discounts from. It's free to join. Yes, free to join. And all you need to do is prove that you're an active outdoor government employee. There are all kinds of products available. Apparel, boots, archery equipment, optics, backpacks, cameras, watches, ammo, anything, you name it. And while you're there, check out the articles information and stories that you'll be inspired from. So before you head out to work in the outdoors or start your next outdoor adventure, check out guidefitter.com and get discounts on your everyday or every so often outdoor equipment. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders for Guidefitter. Wireless Partners building the first net cellular network for AT&T in New Hampshire, Maine, and Vermont to ensure first responders can always communicate in emergency situations so you know help is on the way when you need it. Wireless Partners is partnering for success with communities, local and state government, local business, and visitors. Wireless Partners, building cellular networks for you. This podcast is brought to you by Maine Operation Game Thief. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other game wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experience of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Welcome to Episode 15, Nick Brunson, Nevada Game Warden. I had a great opportunity this summer to go to the International Wildlife Crime Stoppers conference and it was hosted by Nevada this year. What an awesome job they did. We were in Lake Tahoe and uh, Nick is one of the game wardens I was able to meet and actually do an interview as well as their chief. Uh, He'll be up and coming. But what struck me about Nick is the first time I saw him is uh, that's a cowboy game warden. Uh, I got to interview that guy. He's the first cowboy game warden I've ever met. And we talked about the Louis L'Amour books that we both read as we grew up. He's living If you don't know who Louis L'Amour is, he was a Western writer. He he branched off into a few other things. But he connected people to the West. He connected people to cowboys. I hope Wardens Watch connects people to the outdoors and connects people to game wardens. It actually gives you the behind the scene, the nitty gritty of being a game warden. And what really stands out to me is the passion that each one of these individuals has. Whether you're on the East Coast, you're on the West Coast, whether you're in Northern Canada, you have a passion. And we differ from other law enforcement, and other law enforcement recognizes this. I've been called strange. I've been called odd as law enforcement. And, and I get it now. I, I, my friends tell me this, that we are a unique breed of law enforcement because we see things differently. And when you're dealing with violations of law on, on a huge basis, crimes, people getting murdered, raped, child abuse, that type of thing, it seems very serious. And we take wildlife crimes just as serious. And that makes us odd because other people don't. They don't see what we see because they deal with other things in life. I went to a homicide school New Hampshire. Uh, it was a great, great opportunity. Uh, I was out after being shot in the line of duty for six months and I wasn't able to do the things that a normal game warden could do. So I actually took a lot of classes at the New Hampshire Police Academy. And, and one of those was a homicide school. It was two weeks long. I learned so much in homicide school about investigations and I applied it to wildlife. But when we started that homicide school, I made a statement that you know I chuckle at now because I was young, I hadn't been a game warden that long. I made a statement that whenever a deer, a moose, or bear are killed illegally, it's a homicide. To this day, I get I get joked about that. You know, the guys that were in that class with me, my friends, they 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 bust my chops about that, and and I get it because it's not the level of a human being being killed, but that's the seriousness that I took it at. And I took all those tools that they taught me in homicide investigation school and I applied it to wildlife. And, and what an awesome, awesome experience, uh, uh, knowledge gaining, interview techniques, all the above that I was able to apply to my investigations. And what I did is switched out people and I put in animals. And I think that's what we do as game wardens. We, we, we just We put our resources on such a high level, and we have a passion for that. So in the normal law enforcement aspect, we are strange. We are different. And my friends that are listening to this, that are troopers, that are local police, that are sheriffs, they listen to this podcast, and they start to get me. They start to understand why I am different. And I, I understand now, after 24 years of being a game warden, Why I am different as well. And maybe that'll help you bridge with your game board and friends to understand them. And that's something that comes through in this podcast with Nick uh, Runson from Nevada. Uh, It's just uh, he's got the same passion that I do uh, on the West Coast in Nevada. Nevada, I'm so happy IWC was in Nevada because uh, I I keep saying throughout the podcast, uh, desert and rattlesnakes is when I think of Nevada after Vegas, of course. But after hanging out with these game wardens in Nevada and listening to them, there's some really wild places in Nevada. And they are very proud of Nevada. And they do a heck of a job. And they want to do better. It's just that we're all striving to do better, to catch those poachers. We talk about only catching 1% of poaching. That, that's just a scary statistic to me. That that's we're just scraping the top. We're just barely touching the problem. But with people like you listening... Um, we can help, you know, whether it's information or with International Wildlife Crime Stoppers, you can be a member too. Go to wildlifecrimestoppers.org. $35 gets you a membership. You're a member of International Wildlife Crime Stoppers. You're part of the solution, you're part of the help. I'm going to encourage everybody to do that. You know, hunting season's coming up. Our poaching definitely increases during hunting season because of people afield, people outdoors, people that have opportunity and take it. That's why poaching increases in the fall. But, you know, you guys can help us. You know, you can be part of the Crime Stopper family. So I'm gonna encourage everybody just to click on wildlifecrimestoppers.org, become a member, become part of our team to help stop wildlife crime across the US, across Canada, and across the world. This uh, Nevada interview is pretty cool. My first cowboy interview, it's neat, I learned stuff. I learned about sheep, never had any exposure to sheep. It's pretty interesting to me to talk to somebody that's in different country to learn their country, to learn their challenges and to relate them to me and relate to you and to give you that knowledge to give me that knowledge, to to reach out to to brothers and sisters and wildlife law enforcement uh, across the, the nation and across the world. Uh, I'm pretty proud. I think we're all, I keep saying, we're very similar people. And I really liked talking to Nick. And I could see myself being the cowboy warden in another life. I hope I I hope I get to experience a little more than just talking to Nick being the cowboy game warden. If he gets another couple horses, maybe I'll make a special trip out there and see some of that country that he vividly talks about and protects the resources of. So, here we go. Nick Brunson, Nevada Wildlife Law Enforcement Game Warden. And you know, it just it keeps striking me that you know Nevada is such a huge state, and you have about as many officers as New Hampshire does.
2: Yes. You know, yeah, I mean, with the the amount of country that we cover, you know, I think we're have the most public land in the lower 48, you know, outside of Alaska, it's... it's Massive. It's absolute wild west, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of country to cover. Um, there was times that guys would have close to 9,000 square miles that they covered. For, just for, one, one, guy. Yeah. 9, for one guy. Yeah. 9,000 for one guy. For one guy. A lot of country to cover. And so you run into people when you're out there and they're, man, this is the first time that I've ever had a game warden check me in 20 years Mm. and it's like that's understandable you know when there's only 9,000 miles
1: to cover here 9,000 square miles to cover. right it's like
2: (laughs) you know when there's only 31 of us statewide it puts it into perspective
1: that is that that is that is a crazy number and you know talking to your director or your chief of law enforcement the other day kind of kind of gave me why because uh, your budget is so small Because the amount of hunting licenses you sell, which supports your agency. It is. And everything's a draw in Nevada.
2: Yes, everything is a draw.
1: So everything's managed very well, very tight, but there's only so many licenses going out.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, some of the other states that are next to us, like Utah and and Idaho, they've got general hunts, you know, where people can just buy stuff over the counter and and things like that. So, I mean, that's helping, helping their budgets out and, you know, giving them the ability to have more more guys in the field and, and things of that nature. And with us being on that draw system and quotas, and it's it makes it tight, you know, but we yeah.
1: we make it work. You, you, you know, and, and that's what game wardens do. They make it work, don't they? Now? Right, right. You know,
2: you you, know you, you you do what you can with what you're given.
1: Right, you know. And, and the, the first day of being a game warden on your own, they give you a cruiser, they give you a uniform and a gun, and it's the best day of your life, isn't it? <laughs> it is.
2: Yeah. And you're sitting there going, what do I do? <laughs> I've got I've got all this country. What do I do? You know where do I go? Right. Where do I start? You know, and and you just do it.
1: yeah And, and I've had new guys like that. They're like you know big eyed, and they're like, yeah, what do I do? And I start, okay, go go do this. And they come back. I did that. <laughs> okay. Now you need to go do this. And they go. I, I did that. Now what? Next. Yeah. I'm like Now what? Now you got to figure it out on your yeah. own. You got to figure out where people are and how to enforce them. And I always love new guys. Um because they have bigger eyes and they're not you know I know where to go so I think and how to do it so I think but when you get a different perspective from things sometimes you catch people that I would have never caught or the warden with experience never caught because yes whether you stumble into it or you have a different perspective and you work in a different way
2: yes and that you know that that's the thing that I've I've learned in in the career you know only been doing it for five years but just the amount of country that we cover by ourselves but getting a second warden you know won't work and doubling up with a with a guy and just going out into some of that country with another guy and just having different eyes looking at it differently can help you know I've, I've i've learned that on some of the investigations that i've done and and looking at some of the the crime scenes on some of the poaching cases that i've worked and and you just kind of it's almost like you kind of get somewhat honed in and a little bit of tunnel vision you know when Mm -hmm. when you're doing this stuff and you're you're looking for all the different little pieces and it's like if you just take the moment and step back and look at everything you know and and go oh but bringing another person in having a separate set of eyes look at it and i mean they they pick something up and you're just like why didn't why didn't i see that you know it
1: was right in front of my face Yeah. Nope, oh, I, I totally agree. And you know, like, you another officer, a younger officer, somebody's done it different. Sometimes a biologist, you know, can yes. can, can, can have a different, or a civilian sometimes has a different aspect of it right. that we don't see because I think our experience starts to narrow our vision. It does. So it's nice to have it opened up, and then you're like, wow. Jeez, you're yeah. you're right I got to look into that. I,
2: I got I got to look at this a little bit differently.
1: Yeah, so and, and you know what you know since, since I met you the the thing that strikes me and, and we're going to have to do, you know, the cover photo is you're a cowboy. You got to yes. you got to cowboy hat on you got a <laughs> handlebar well not is that a handlebar much
2: yeah that that's kind it's of the like look a that I've been going <laughs> for.
1: type thing yeah it's uh you are a cowboy that's that's you know from the day I, I saw laid eyes on you i'm like that man's a cowboy right through and through and through
2: right and you know growing up we did we did a lot of that stuff i mean we had horses and whenever we'd go hunting sometimes we'd you know go on horseback and um just kind of lived somewhat of that lifestyle my whole life you know i've got i've I've got horses um i've got my i've got one horse i'm looking at trying to get more Mm -hmm. because i've got uh some wilderness area up and up in my patrol country and i've been wanting to do you know Mm -hmm. some backcountry patrol with the horses back in the wilderness area and really kind of get into that and and start showing people that hey you know even if i'm 10 miles from the the last road or the trailhead there's still a game warden here watching you
1: yeah you're not out of reach right yeah, no. You I, know, and
2: I think that that would change, you know, the way that a lot of people do stuff. And, and I'm sure there's plenty of things that are going on in that country that that haven't been looked at for, for years. And mm, it's been kind of a passion of mine. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like, I've got horses. I've always wanted to do this. I mean, I went and I've, I've hunted in that country off horseback. And it's like, I want to go in there and I want to work this.
1: Yeah. yeah and no, see absolutely. it from a
2: completely different end, you know.
1: Yeah, I have so much respect. I, I did my first hunt in Colorado this uh, last year, and I was able to shoot an elk. Like, I was hiking two, two and a half hours in to get to where the elk are. Right. And, and what sucked is all of a sudden I hear this glump, glum, 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 and I'm like, what the heck is that? And you know, I've, I've been hiking two and a half hours now, right. and here comes this guy on a horse, and I'm like... Boy, am I jealous. Right. You know. I here. just
2: busted my butt for, you know, two hours yep. to get where I'm at. And this guy probably covered that in a half an hour on yep. a horse it, for 45 it, it, minutes. It,
1: yeah, Exactly. I'm like, hey, he's going to cover some country. He's going to get an elk. But guess what? He didn't get an elk and I did. So. Right. That, that's
2: awesome. <laughs> <laughs> when that happens, that's a good thing. <laughs>
1: yeah, Yep. His boy was trailing him hiking, which I thought was funny, uh, <laughs> you know, because dad's riding the horse. He had a pack horse. He had a horse. And here comes this kid with a full pack on. Oh, so you know i chatted with the dad for a while and he's like yeah my kid's following up well he never told me he was hiking so here's the kid he's coming up and he's got sneakers that are untied (sighs) it's a little bit of snow on the ground so he's soaked he's got sweatpants on i'm like but he's a young strapping six foot two kid and i I, I go i say hey what did you do wrong he's like (laughs) what do you mean i said your dad's on a horse he's pulling a pack and here you are your feet are wet you know, and, and you're you're puffing a pack that looks like 120 pounds, right. and he's like, "No, I didn't do anything wrong. Just this is this is the part of it. You know, yeah. when you're this age, you do this. You know, when, when I'm his age, I'll do that. I hope.
2: <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, he should have thrown his pack on the on the horse. You, you would have thought, right?
1: but I, I, I still think he did something wrong. And Dad, he was getting punished. Right now, you're walking into yeah, camp. now here. here's your pack. Yep. So. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I've got so much respect for horses, and I think you know, as an Eastern warden, that, that's one thing. I, I look at Western wardens and think you know that the the big mountains that you can't get into with anything, yes, but a horse or the the Forest Service land that you know doesn't allow ATVs. That the yes. only way you can get into is a horse. So, and to have that relationship with animals, we have it with dogs, and to have that one with a horse, it's just. Uh, yeah, something out of Lewis L'Amour, I guess, and I used to read those books like nonstop when I was a kid.
2: Same thing with me. Those are the only type of books that I really, you know, ever got into when I was in high school and things like that. You know, and English teachers telling you you got to read this and you got to read that and you got mm. um, no, I'm like, no.
1: I, I want something I'm interested in. Yes. I, want, I want something. So yeah, but but you're you're living the Louis L'Amour dream. I am.
2: Yeah, I am. I'm living. You know, I know there's a lot of a lot of wardens that that would be jealous of, you know, the stuff that we get to do in the state of Nevada and, and, you know, getting to do some of that backcountry patrol. I mean, shoot, you know, watching the Outdoor Channel and seeing the the Montana Warden show that they had Mm. on there and and seeing some of those guys going into the backcountry on horses. And before, you know, before I got into being a game warden and I'd watch some of those shows and I'd see that and I'd be like, man, that's, you know, one day that's what I'm going to be doing. Yeah. And oh, now here and I now am. Now you are. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it's, it's an awesome feeling to to finally achieve that and it is. And, and to do that. So it is. Any good wildlife cases or, or fishing? I had to keep remember fish are important too. Right. But, you know, I see you, you got the the, the sheep uh, hat on. Yeah. And, uh, I haven't my had a good sheep uh, case yet. So you get any good sheep cases? I,
2: you know, I haven't gotten any good sheep cases. I've got some I come
1: back in another ten years and you know, right. You'll have some, right. So. I've <laughs> got
2: I've got uh, some bighorn sheep. I've got Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep in my patrol country. Um, there's only one tag given out, and I mean, not... One tag? Yeah, one tag in, one, in there. One
1: tag for one sheep?
2: One tag for, for one sheep. So there's there's not a whole lot, you know, that really goes on with that. Um, How's the, the population? Do you find that one great. hunter?
1: That's, that's going to be hard to do.
2: You know, sometimes it's it's not really that hard because the, the sheep are all in one confined one into into one place. So it's, it's easy you know for me to find them so what
1: do you think the sheep population is in that area like 10
2: i know that uh, when the biologist did her flight last what would it have been last august she ended up seeing i think 38 sheep in there wow. so you know we're kind of sitting You're right around that
1: one out of 38 you know maybe 50 total, right you know right what you didn't see so right so yeah now i understand maybe one right
2: but man. and you know and that 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 sheep herd's kind of coming back from an pneumonia die-off that we'd had I don't know. I'm I can't remember exactly when it started. It was f- 5 years ago. I think it was sheep, right close. Sheep get pneumonia. Yes, they do. They end up getting uh it's a it's a pneumonia mycoplasia bacteria that and and i think it's really pretty prevalent in almost all wild sheep but mm. it's almost seems like there's some sort of environmental factor in, in, in and and weather and things like the- that that just kind of triggers it and and it's it's no different than like pneumonia and people you know sheep will start coughing they start having lots of discharge out of their nose and i mean before long it just it makes their lungs pretty much turn black it's mm. it's it's sad to watch, you know, because mm. they're just they're slowly dying this nasty, painful death, and it's basically what it's doing is just suffocating them. Wow. Yeah.
1: So that's the first time I've ever heard of sheep pneumonia and, and affecting wild populations. Yes, so, and uh, I
2: mean it's it's been like that, you know, in in all places in the state of Nevada, not just up by Elko or mm-hmm. you know down by Tonopah or down by Vegas. I mean, quite yeah. a bit of the sheep herds end up you know, yeah. end up with it. And sometimes they can, they can link it to, um, wild sheep and, and domestic sheep interactions mm-hmm. or wild sheep and domestic goat interactions and things like that. But, you know, like I said, I, I know that they say that, that, that pneumonia bacteria is in almost every sheep known, whether it's domestic or wild. Mm-hmm. And to me, I think there's just got to be some sort of environmental trigger that, that triggers that, it, that helps. Yep. You know, Make that forward proliferate. make it yeah. fatal.
1: Yep. So certainly a limiting factor as far as population goes.
2: It is. It is. And you know, and I mean, hand it to the biologists. They're the ones that are you know in charge of of overseeing those populations and and you know making sure that the health of the herd and, mm-hmm. and things like that are there. So it's like you know once they once they start seeing some of the sheep showing some of the signs of the 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 bacteria, it's like they got to get in there and, and try to remove those sheep and and hope that the others don't, you know, contract the same thing and and completely wipe out a population.
1: So they go in and try to remove the sick sheep when they yes. start seeing that? Yes, yep. That's yeah, be we a actually had,
2: we had a, uh, a herd that was up by Winnemucca that had pneumonia mycoplasia, and they were worried that those sheep were going to end up crossing unit boundary lines and going into a, a herd that was not infected. And so they went in there and they removed the remaining sheep that were that we're in the infected herd just to keep them from from going out and and infect another herds huh so it's it's kind of a you know and and like i say give it to the just, biologists cuz just look the at sheep
1: are, hunting mind you now we're we're trying to extract the sheep out of there and right. you know the terrain the difficulties that that's not an easy job is it
2: no it's not you know, and I think that they utilize the helicopter a bit to be able to go in and do some of that stuff because mm-hmm. it's a heck of a lot easier to to find the herd with the helicopter and, yep. and getting eyes in the sky, but, you know, having people on the ground as well. And mm. there's a, there's part of you that goes, man, it would, you know, maybe maybe it would have been better if we would have given tags out to people and, and been like, hey, right. let's go in and try to do what we can to remove these animals. But, you know, hunters sometimes can can. You know whether they're trophy hunting or whatever looking for the biggest thing or or whatnot but i think that it might have been beneficial just to have hunters go in and, and remove them versus us doing it but at the same time it's like you know the biologists kind of have have that mm-hmm. say as far as what they think that you know is going to be the easiest way to take care of it and right and that's, and that's, that's what they came up with
1: they got to make and right you know certainly you know that that's a tool they have is using hunters to, to right to to deal with the population levels or you know but in other words you know maybe the the hunters would take the healthy sheep and you know you lose a couple healthy sheep when you don't want lose the sheep so right and we always have that with like deer populations in northern new hampshire because one of the big limiting factors is weather if we get a ton of snow that the deer are going to die Right. So they're not going to have anything to eat. Right? right. So if hunters go in and kill a bunch of deer, we reduce the population. There'll probably be less deer dying because there's more food available for so, the ones that are still there. I- yeah. Exactly. But but how do you predict the weather? Right. And it's so tough. So, yeah.
2: Mother Nature's, you know, she's got a mind of her own. No, no doubt. No <laughs> doubt. <So. laughs> she's going to do whatever she wants to. And, yeah. And we're going to be dealt with, you know. Yeah, and those are aftermath. hard
1: hard calls to to make. So, and right. I know wardens always have our opinions. So, and uh, you know, we work very well with the biologist, and we do uh, we take some input? And you know, they try to make the most informed decisions they can, and then we end up enforcing it.
2: Right. So. You know, and everybody goes, "Well, why did you guys do it this way?" And you know. We're, we're the ones that usually end up having to answer the, right, we're the, dealing the, with the why, why and the public. how questions.
1: Exactly. So and yes. the, the better we can explain it to the general public, the better off we are. Absolutely. So the better explanation we get from our biologists, why they made that decision, the better off we are. And
2: that's, you know, that's one of the cool things about the...
0: Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com.
2: Working in the Elko area, the way that they have our, our office set up over there, it's uh, it, we sit in the same room with a biologist so Mm. the you know the country that we cover there's a biologist that's covering the same country that we are so you know we're constantly interacting with biologists you know and we're we're giving them information of what we're seeing in the field and you know vice versa they're giving us information as far as the health you know the Mm -hmm. health of the herds and And we always don't
1: agree either Right. So, but, you know, there's a middle area there and it's the, it's, it's that give and take and getting that information. And uh, that's what I always found. And always having respect for each other is so important and seeing their point of view. Like you said, you're not putting the blinders on because we see it from a generally a law enforcement aspect and they see it generally biology. They don't take the hunters into consideration. They're, they're, you know, they use them as a tool to to limit populations, but you know, they're, they're not on the front lines dealing with the people every day but when they listen and they get that aspect then they start to understand yes
2: yeah i mean you know getting to getting to hear things from the hunters you know as far as what they're seeing out there on the ground you Mm -hmm. know the what what how many animals they're actually seeing you know that that's kind of stuff really helps out because as the warden we can go back and talk with the biologist and be like hey you know i've been talking with a lot of people Mm. out there in the field and and this is what they're seeing you know and kind of give them you know give them that that bit of information i mean like you say mm. you may not always agree right but at least you're given given them but great information, vital information. To take back
1: because you're not getting a whole lot of hunting data when right. you kill one sheep right you know right yeah you, you, that that guy fills out a diary yep first day saw the sheep shot the sheep it yeah go. you yeah. know where, whereas you know we have like a little forms they fill out if, if they want to a little journal they were hunting and they deer hunting and they saw five moose and they looked healthy and this is the area so we we, we try to get that information but you're not getting that information
2: right you know i know that uh, in the state of nevada we give out observation sheets for the sheep hunters to where they can you know they can fill in these observation forms you know Mm -hmm. how many animals they saw how many you know ewes and lambs they saw how many rams they saw you know what what the health of the herd looked like if they seen any sheep that were coughing or you know had nasal discharge or anything Mm. like that to where you know it gives good information to the biologist and it's, it's kind of cool. It's like, man, you know, it'd be interesting if we did the same thing for, for other species, you know, whether it's mm. antelope or deer, or elk, you know, to where people can write down observation sheets. How many elk did because you see? Because the people
1: that are willing to write that stuff down are, are really sharp people usually. Right. You know, and they're really into it and they really are, are moose, and antler hunters, you know, a lot of them keep journals. Yeah. So to, to take that information and to bring it in, that that's that's it's huge. Yes. So. And that's
2: one thing that's been really awesome in the state of nevada is actually getting to see moose move in to the state of nevada from out of idaho um up in my patrol country up in and around the moose idaho border in nevada yeah we've got cyrus moose that are moving into the to nobody the thinks
1: moose when they think nevada they think no. this desert rattlesnake right swirling around right i can see the sheep thing you know they're up on those jagged mountains but uh Yeah, Nevada's blowing me away. You'd never, you'd never figure that there was moose in the state of Nevada. And I
2: mean, up in up in the garbage wilderness. uh, I
1: bet your director can hardly wait to get a hunting license so he can get a little more money. Right? Right. His budget sucks. You're right.
2: You know, and and the biologist that I work with, she's been tasked to kind of, you know, try to figure out do do some moose flights and put mm-hmm. some collars on some of the moose that are moving into nevada and kind of see what the dispersal is you guys is use and, air and support a lot don't you we do yeah we do because you have to it's so big yeah i mean with this the the amount of country that we we have to cover mm. and the populations you know the animals aren't just running everywhere yeah you know there's there's certain places where they are and and they use the helicopters yep, a lot department pilots we do yeah we do uh, do you like to fly you know I, I I don't mind flying. I did it when I was uh I was a BLM firefighter before I, you know, started working for the state and things like that. So Did you I, jump? No, I didn't do any of the jumping out of the airplanes or anything like that. I thought you were smarter than that, so that's good. (laughs) There's no point in jumping out of a perfectly good good airplane. (laughs) Mom taught me better, you know. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I
1: did one duck survey in a plane. I'll never do that again, you know. And the guy's like, I'm like, oh, where's that barf bag? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, really? Do we have to bank like that to count ducks? (laughs) Right, Uh, yeah.
2: Now, you know, I fly i can do pretty well in a helicopter depends on the pilot it depends on the day Um, generally
1: helicopters not fixed wings yeah a lot of times
2: it's it's in the helicopter i mean we used to have fixed wing availability Mm. type of stuff but i think you know with the helicopter it just the way that they do it you know you're able to slow down you're able to Mm. get right down in on those animals and, and kind of you know, do really good classification when they do it. You know, it's, it's pretty awesome to, to be sitting in the backseat of the helicopter and watching how it is that they're doing it, you know, and sitting Mm -hmm. there writing the numbers down and, and, you know, getting to see it from the biologist perspective and, Mm -hmm to me you know as a, as a warden it's it's awesome to be able to do that because not only are you getting to see the animals and and doing the stuff with the biologist but you're also getting to see your patrol units from a completely different perspective yeah because a lot of times we're we're just out there boots on the ground or in the truck and and you're running up and down roads and when you're in the helicopter you get to see all that stuff from the air and so yeah. you know seeing where animals are at you know we're big Pop, you know parts of populations and things like that are it's, it's super helpful and mm. it's like you know those are areas that we probably need to hit
1: right and I know my biologists when there was work to be done an extra set of hands they always appreciated it right so that was that was always good to work with them and, and sim- similar things like that. And, yes. You know, the boots on the ground type of thing and working with them. And that, that relationship is just priceless because I think, you know, we work better for, you know, the resource. We work better for the sportsmen. We work better for the people that appreciate the outdoors. Right, so right. So it's a, it's a good working relationship and pretty healthy. And I think that pretty much consistent nationwide. Yes. so
2: I think it is. You know, I think almost every agency it's probably – you probably have a lot of those similarities all mm. across the country.
1: Yeah. And it breaks up your day. It breaks up your, you know, it's something new. Like you said uh, it is. earlier, you know, you never know. Every day is a different day. Right. So, and you it, never know
2: what you're going to see from the air. Heck, you oh might, oh my goodness. You might, you might spot the next, you know, then the next good poaching case right there from the air while you're out and, you know, doing mm-hmm. surveys.
1: Yeah. And I, and I probably already said this on a podcast, but they were doing a marijuana flight, one of the, uh, local police officers was up in an a, aircraft and this is august and our hunting season doesn't start until september 15th for bow for deer and they see a guy dragging out a, a deer out of the woods and uh when they sees the helicopter he turns around and drags it back in the woods well he doesn't hunt he doesn't fish he doesn't know he thought it was kind of odd you know but he didn't think he'd radio it down because <laughs> there was a couple of game wardens waiting to take the next flight right so when they land he's like yeah we saw this guy dragging a deer out of the woods you know and then he saw us he dragged it back in the woods and we're like you know and so their (laughs) boots they're going like crazy to get to this spot you know hours later right there's there's nobody there so but you know just to you know to say what you saw from the air right you know what he saw from the air we didn't catch him but that's that stuff's occurring and yeah you might see the next big poaching case from the air yeah that something you know that you can see hey check that out what's that over there and you know you get a bunch of dead sheep for no reason or you know something you're right what's going on mm -hmm. yeah so. It's
2: it's pretty cool to be able to to see that you know it'd be nice if we could utilize aircraft during hunts and things like that but right. it'd probably be more detrimental than it would be beneficial in in right. some instances just because you'd be ruining everybody's hunting i mean it takes people a lot of years to draw tags for mm. certain species in the state of nevada you know some people are waiting like I've been putting in for 20 years for desert sheep tag in the state of nevada and i'm still wow. still waiting you know i mean not everybody takes that long but you should be able to get it right you know Sooner you're still or later. young <laughs> <Sooner or later>. <laughs> 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 i just hope another I can 20 years before i turn 60 well, you know if they're only
1: giving out one tag nick let's face it you know <laughs> the odds aren't that good <laughs> right right you know i
2: mean the, the cool thing in nevada the amount of of sheep that are in the state of nevada is is phenomenal i mean all the all the desert sheep that we've got down south. That, mm. I mean, the herds are we've we've got more sheep out there now than than we've ever had. Wow! And nice. you know, big thanks Good to work. to the you know the NGOs like mm-hmm. you know Nevada Bighorns Unlimited, right? Uh, Finaz, you know Elko bighorn more, more partners, Fraternity of desert, desert Bighorn in Southern Nevada. I mean, just all of those all of those mm-hmm. partners right help doing what they're doing and and to see the population's way that they are is is amazing
1: and one of my missions is to to let those partners know law enforcement's part of management right you know i've I've seen these pie charts i've seen these things and management habitat they're buying and doing this and doing that and i never see law enforcement in those 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 formulas and i'm like hey if you don't have any law enforcement you have nothing Right, we're, we're the teeth in the the you know the biology. with the teeth in the rules. Right, so. I mean
2: you know they the biologists and and everything like that. They can do all the quotas that they want. Mm. If you don't have if you don't have game wardens out there enforcing the laws, it's just going to be a free for all for everybody that's out there.
1: Right, and, and nationwide we're getting reduced reduce 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 and we're becoming the police in the woods and i get that and that that's a that's a good segue but let's not forget about what our primary focus is and right and that's
2: that's going out there and protecting the wildlife and in the wild places that that you know that they encompass
1: right and and who better to partner with and and help share that message with with is you know the rocky mountain elk foundation the sheep foundation Trout Unlimited, Ducks Unlimited, Foundation. Yeah. I mean, all of them. You know, help us carry this flag, man. Don't forget the law enforcement. Don't leave us behind because we're the teeth and we're getting left behind. And eventually it's going to affect you. Absolutely. So there's, there's a lot of dedicated wardens that are out there, you know, busting their butt. To, to make it happen, yes, you know, to, to make it work. And there's even some
2: of those wardens that are, you know, working on committees, mm. you know, for Rocky Mountain Elks Foundation, Mule Deer Foundation, right. Turkey Foundation. I mean, all of those, you know, we're all, what well, you know, we wouldn't be in the job if we didn't love the wildlife.
1: Absolutely. So we're on the same side. Just, right. You know, we're, we're the teeth and, you know, become a partner with International Wildlife Crime Stoppers. What, what an opportunity for these, you know, these non profits to up team up with another another non profit right. that specifically targets, you know, wildlife Catching wildlife crime. Exactly. It just yes. uh you know that's 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 uh, hopefully someone's gonna listen to this podcast and say, geez, he's right. Right. You know? And maybe you'll say, geez, he's wrong, but <laughs> <laughs> You never know, right? You you just never know. You never know. know. So it, it, the wildlife cases again, getting back to that, can you can you share one
2: with me? Yeah, I've got I've got a few wildlife cases that I can share. I know one, um and and a lot of people say it's an anomaly for a w- warden to be able to actually sit out there and catch you know a poaching act right there in front of them. It, you know it's oh, it's, it's one best. of those things that's almost like <laughs> it's almost like one in a million. You I know, just the like d- the look on their face when the it. warden sh- is there, right? And and priceless. in 2015, I was. Uh, it was in October and we'd gotten some information that there was, you know, some potential activity that would be going on up in the up in the northeast corner of the state, close to the Nevada, Utah, Idaho border. So we went out there and we're working kind of somewhat of a plainclothes project, just sitting back, kind of watching, you know, hunting activity and seeing what's going on and, and lo and behold, you know, uh myself and and the uh lieutenant that's over the investigative division right now. Uh, him and i we were sitting out there and we watched some folks uh with a utah bull elk tag come inside nevada a mile inside nevada and shoot a bull elk right there in front of us and and
1: you guys did surveillance on this yeah i mean we we wow. were
2: sitting out watching um i think we were out there for two days prior to when wow. when this had happened and there's a whole bunch of private property. Yeah, I'm that's, assuming you're camping for two days. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We were camping out in the middle of nowhere. You know, tent, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think we had the wall tent up, if I remember right. But um, it was it's it's one of those things, you know. So we we watch that and we see them, you know, headlights. They're side by sides, and they head up towards Idaho, and they get into Idaho, and come back around, and and drop. So you're
1: pretty high up watching this stuff. I'm yeah. Sure. I mean, we're Got we're up on you know view.
2: some some good ridges and bluffs and things like that to be able to to see this and we watched them go all the way back into this ranch over in utah and we sat and tried figuring out okay what is it we're going to do you know we got to get a hold of utah to be able to Mm -hmm. to go in there and and right you know work this case and you know luckily we got a pretty good relationship with with Mm -hmm. our bordering states and we were able to get in there and and I was able to identify the elk and yep, that's you know, that's the one that they shot last night and we seized everything and we didn't really get a whole lot out of that one. I was hoping that we'd get more but, you know, there's only there's only so much that we can do as the wardens, you know, right. putting the case together so, and so you
1: watch these people, was it did they do this at night?
2: they did it in the evening um okay. it was right before right before nightfall and okay. i mean when they when they ended up shooting it was probably five or ten minutes after legal shooting light so you guys are kind of She's watching
1: a, these guys cross into your state and then eventually you hear the gunshot yep. and you, you can watch them you watch the elk go down
2: Sit and watched Sit and watched her you know the the gal that, that was shooting sat and watched her shoot and you could see the dust fly and you could see bullets hitting the elk and the, the elk just scattering, and watched the bull go up into some trees, and pretty soon they came out and followed the elk up into the trees, and heard a couple more shots, and and pretty soon, you know, it starts getting dark, and then all as you can see is His headlamps mm-hmm. and headlights from the side by sides and four wheelers and things mm-hmm. of that nature going into there to processing it, process to get it, it out. And get it out of there. Mm. It was it was pretty, you know, pretty like I say, it's it's one of those things that being a game warden, you you dream of being able to, to see stuff like that and work cases like that. But the chances of it ever really happening are, you know, super slim. Mm-hmm. And that was I, – I was – I'd only been on as a game warden for a year when, you know, year and a half about when when that occurred. And so it was like, wow. man, I've only been doing this for a year and a half and I've already been able to, you know, catch this. And yeah. So it was pretty pretty cool, you know. And then, like I say, when everything went through the court processes, we don't, you know – it would be nice if, if judges and, and things like that mm-hmm. took wildlife crime a little bit more seriously than what they do. But, you know, there's only so much we can do as a warden. All we can do is, is right. you know.
1: And if it makes you feel better, usually western fines are much more than eastern fines. Really? Yes. Yes, absolutely. When I look at your finds, i like, wow, I really get that <laughs> that's, much. That's impressive, yeah. right? Yeah. So for a moose, you know, generally we're looking at... You know, twenty five hundred dollars. You know, for a, a shot moose plus restitution. So they're looking at like you know maybe thirty five hundred dollars, right. you know, Plus loss of license for you know two two years, three years. So um, you know, those are the type of penalties we're getting in the east. Yeah. And so of course, you don't even have a moose season. So it was no, a we don't. Season. You know, and
2: thankfully here this last year they actually uh, they with the legislative session just finishing up they they put in some legislation and they actually put moose. Um, The killing of a moose is a felony in the state of Nevada. Before it was, it was only listed as a big game mammal. I mean, we Mm -hmm. only had it identified as a big game mammal in the state just because it was, it was a rarity to ever see a moose in the state. Well, now we're starting to see a lot more of them move Mm -hmm. in. Like I say, it seems like from southern Utah. So your legislators taking it pretty serious. Yeah, legislators are starting to take it serious, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're making the killing of a moose a felony, which is which is good because the last four years, four years in a row, we've had a moose killed. During the cow elk hunts, people mm-hmm. misidentifying, right? You know, a, a, a moose for an elk, and it's mm-hmm. kind of hard, you know, from my eyes to to. Yeah. How do you make that mm-hmm. that distinction difference? But
1: yeah, take a little time. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. Yeah, well, very you know, very different animals. It's one of those
2: things that you learn when you're in hunter safety or anything like that is identify your target. Mm-hmm before pulling the trigger but
1: i must say when i saw my first elk in the wild it was, it was like a shocker you know after i've been like i told you i've been scouting hiking in there and actually right. just see one come out and go oh that's an elk that's what an elk looks like <laughs> <laughs> so you know but i, I would have said if it was a moose i would have known it was a moose too right. you know but, right uh, you know it's just a shocker all of a sudden they show up and that's an elk Wow, well, right. you know, So right. I could have done the same thing with a moose if it was a moose. So. But I can tell
2: you, you know, a lot of the wildlife cases that I've worked have been kind of similar to that. You know, a lot of it seems like, you know, border issues, people mm-hmm. coming from one state into into Nevada, you know, and, right. and hunting whether it's deer, or it's elk. I've worked, I've worked two or three deer cases up along the the Utah border and the Idaho border. Yeah, you know, and gotten gotten some pretty good cases and got you know, some pretty good convictions. Um, we,
1: we've made international cases, you know, with between Canada, people coming into New Hampshire and shooting moose. And, right. You know, t- talk about, A, a language barrier, and then getting the Canadians involved, which, you know, it worked out fairly good. And it was like three hours they were there, which wasn't bad, you know, to be in the middle of the woods and three right. hours with it. And with a game warden that speaks fluid english and french it was it was uh yeah, that was that was pretty cool so um yeah yeah but i totally understand and i'm gonna save the details of that for another podcast because i got a couple officers there that were there and that's awesome it, it, it was yeah it, it was an awesome awesome case so that would be lots of it could fun have been work. much more awesome had we caught the canadians on our side because then the border patrol would have been really 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 happy but. right <laughs> that would but, have made
2: it even more interesting
1: yeah no but uh definitely border issues are there you know uh, yeah so it, it's you got to know your boundaries and uh, most of them do Yes. Most yeah, of them know I know mean, where they're going. Most
2: of them know exactly mm-hmm. where they're at. You know, they'll, they'll they'll sit and tell you that they don't, but they know exactly and, and where they're at. And the grass is
1: at. always greener on the other side.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but those are some of the, you know, some of the better ones that I've worked have been, been cases that have yeah. been, you know, having border issues and things mm. like that
1: about that adrenaline level as you're watching this happen and you're like you know I just I I just I had a case similar that I watched it all go down and you know it just it builds you're like you know you're like oh they're over now they've already violated they're in in our state but now oh there's elk there right they shot I just, did they get it? Did they, uh, they killed it, you yeah. know? And then it's just, you know, the adrenaline builds up. And from then on, you know, that case is just, you know, taking off. And you, you're you're flying like a kite because you, you're, you're right. going like, to catch these things. You're doing this. You're calling Utah. You're getting them involved. We're going to go to the ranch. And, you know, when you showed up at the ranch, I mean, what was the reaction there?
2: I, I, can, I can tell you that you can tell that nobody at that ranch wanted us there. Um <laughs> There was... There's been history. Shocking. There's been history with the the ranch manager, you know, the ranch owner, and everything like that out there with mm-hmm. the Nevada Department of Wildlife, and I mean, there's there's a, 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 quite a bit of bad blood there. Um, so it was it was intense. Mm-hmm. It was really intense, you know. And there's a lot of people that were in there. I mean, there was there was folks there from California. There was folks there. So these from people were guided. Utah. Um, I don't believe that they were guided. Okay. It was a it was a special tag out of Utah that they were able to draw. They call it a CWMU. It's a cooperative wildlife management unit tag. Mm-hmm. That uh, it's kind of somewhat. Like a landowner tag, I mm-hmm. guess per se out of yep. out of Utah, so these folks were able to draw that they were able to put in and drew that tag and I don't believe they were guided I mean there was there was some people there that that looked like it could have been mm-hmm. the the ranch never owner but
1: put that together yeah. yeah, I
2: wasn't able to say with a hundred percent certainty you know when I'm looking through a spot and scope at sixty power and I'm watching what's going on and they' you know three or four mo- well not. Probably two miles away from us, mm-hmm. so it was you know it was really hard to see like face and make out you know a hundred percent. That's
1: but you were able to identify. The we were able to female. identify.
2: Yes, I Which, could see again. I could see the long hair, mm-hmm. you know, and I could I could tell that they had a juvenile with them, and right. and that there was, I think there was three or four male adults there as mm-hmm. well, and it seemed like there was one adult. Um, potential juvenile or maybe young mm-hmm. adult that was there so i mean i was able to see those things right. i just couldn't see and you're recording faces. All this. i mean
1: what people i mean you're trying to identify these for later too so you're you know whether it's blonde hair brune hair what they're wearing you know right. stature this is all stuff you, you, you're trying to do and you know if you have the ability to, to videotape a photography you know you're probably trying to snap I And mean, the iphones are great now they can slap yes. on those uh you know ends of the spotting scopes now put them on can, a
2: phone scope see and i didn't have scope. a phone scope before and mm. and the whole time that i was i was doing that i was sitting and they're taking pictures right. with my phone Best through the spot and scope, just trying to yeah. just Smart. trying to Smart to do what I scope. could yeah to help make the case better absolutely you know so and in like you say i mean once you see that happen and you know the adrenaline and mm. there's a whole bunch of private land that was that was right in there and and that private land was what kind of kept us from getting over there that night and and mm-hmm. actually catching these people on the ground right over there is We had to try to cross private property and, and, you know, like I've never been on this private property a day in my life. I've never had a reason to. So I have no clue where any of these roads are.
1: Yep or gates or right. all, all kinds of things that are You know, on some of
2: the gates and some of the private property it's locked. So mm-hmm. you know that you're not going to be able to get into there. Right. You know, so it's like where where do you go? Where right. do you go?
1: Yeah, well, with with 9,000 square miles, I can totally understand that. Right. So and then the tension when you show up at that ranch, you got Utah with you and then you yes. and just you know, I I, I I don't know if people understand when we go to address some of these wildlife crimes and these people are fully aware of what they did, and the warden shows up. There's some serious tension there.
2: Really, yeah. really serious tension, you know. And like I say, that the, the landowners have a lot of animosity towards um, state agencies, whether it's Utah, DNR, or Nevada Department of Wildlife. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's just there's a lot of animosity there, and, and they don't really like the, the authority. Mm -hmm. um so while we're there i mean like you say the tension's just just amazing you know you could you could feel it right and you could see it you know and and when you're there and you're you're talking with these people and and you know they're they're giving you bold face lies i mean almost every every game warden's probably been lied to millions of times in their Mm. career it's just it's human nature. I, I remember nature. the
1: times I gave breaks is when people told the truth because I was right. like, really? Wow. Yeah. Because, so, uh, yeah, we get lied to on a consistent basis. And you know, certainly the TV shows show that, which was, just cracks me up, you know, that people get caught on lies and then they show it on TV. <laughs> and now everybody understands. we you guys get lied to all the time. I'm yeah. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. So it's hard. For us, when we do an investigation, when you tell us to something to believe somebody to take it at face value, right, right, you know, it's a, we got to dig, we got to do, and then the, then the, then the innocent people are like, "Geez, you treated me like a criminal." And well, it's like, well, it's because we're always constantly being lied to, and most of them are criminals. So yes, the one time or the very few times you get treated like a criminal, I'm sorry, <laughs> but th- this is how we have to catch the bad guys that are constantly lying. Right, to you know, us. and
2: I mean, a lot of times it's not it's it's not that we don't believe you. It's just, we're trying to get the information and, and then we're trying to talk with, with the other sources that were there and, and verify stories and, mm. you know, try to find the discrepancies and, you know, we, 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 try not to, to make people feel like a criminal when they're not a criminal. Absolutely. But it's, it's kind of all part of the job. You yeah. know, that's, that's how we, get to the bottom of Mm -hmm. everything and get the truth
1: yeah and eventually we figured the truth out you know and we find out that you were telling the truth so you know and that's a good thing and we probably treat you a little different after that right uh, (laughs) but in the meantime you know that it's it's hard to understand that when you're on the other side of it yes yeah and i
2: mean you, you know you know when you're being lied to i mean there's different things that people do that that give you those cues that you know they're lying but mm-hmm. it's it's neither here nor there you know like i say i saw what i saw from the spot exactly. and scope and you the cool thing was being able to put needed. all that down on the paper and mm-hmm. and, and see the elk head and the, yep. in the trailer and and everything else and it was like you know we had we had all the pieces that we needed and right. we knew what the truth was right
1: Yeah. So and it's just at that point whether they're going to cooperate or not is how you deal with right. it, you know. So right. And how did it go when you did an interview with her? Was she pretty forthcoming? Or? No. no, no, they
2: didn't. Uh, they they tried saying that they had no clue exactly where they were at. They didn't know where the border was and and things of that nature. So which on is a ranch which right is the border, which is common, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean that ranch. It part of it runs in in Utah and part of it runs into Nevada. Mm-hmm. Um, where the where the ranch house is, it's probably a mile inside Utah mm-hmm. and. The you know the hay meadows and things like that run over into right. Nevada, and, and when you're
1: hunting that close to the border, know where you are.
2: Right, absolutely. You know, and I mean that day and age, even in 2015, I mean GPSs mm-hmm. and x maps mm-hmm. and you know things like that. All right. that stuff's available for people, and and to say I didn't know I was, you know, I didn't yeah. know I was in Nevada. Well, right. you're a mile from it, mm-hmm. you know. The place that you drove into you drove right past a marker that shows you the Nevada Utah and Idaho border Mm -hmm. so it's like you you can't tell me you didn't know where you were at you know like I say it was it was pretty it was pretty tense Mm -hmm. um talking with the people that that killed the elk and they're you know we don't know exactly where we're at and we're looking at a map and we're trying to get them to point Mm -hmm. on the map where they were at and and talking with them and then Pretty soon, the the husband of of the the you know the guy that owns the property ends up getting called, and he shows up. And I mean, at that yeah, point, that just the tension right just up. the tension just got heavier, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah. and it was like, okay, you know, we've got what we need. Let's just get out of here, you know. Yeah. We seize the we seize the elkhead, we seize the rifle, and yep. you know, we've identified the, the the shooter. got out of there.
1: Got everybody, yep. So, you know, I'm I'm thinking through my career, I've never arrested a female. Right. I've had other officers near me arrest females, you know, but.
0: Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com.
1: I've never been done that, so I just, you know, to have that happen too, you know, just females don't hunt as much. I mean, they're the minority doing this. Certainly, they are gaining. I have seen that gain as far yes. as, especially archery hunters. They seem to, females have finesse and there's something about with archery that takes finesse and you know I've seen a lot of more females you know hunt taking and, up hunting yeah, and archery and, and, and are very good at it
2: oh yeah they're excellent at yeah, it I better mean, shots than we are it's almost like they Patience. have ice in their veins you know Yeah,
1: yeah, a- absolutely you know and I in nature you think about the, the females you know they're the hunters they're the ones you watch out for right yeah, they're the <laughs> ones you know so and, and I think we just haven't generated that over years because I think yeah they are the, they're the killers they're the they're the like you said ice in their veins yeah and, I mean uh, they just you know patience I don't have patience you way know. better patience just than most males do all, yeah all day and then calm as a
2: cucumber and then accurate and yeah yeah, yeah it's okay <laughs> yeah makes but, me nervous you know, just thinking about it <laughs> we didn't we didn't make an arrest right there at that time it was just right. one of those things we got what we needed mm-hmm. we got out of there and uh, you know put put all the pieces of the puzzle together got our reports in and And that's a nice thing about being a game warden
1: you always don't have to make the arrest there there's another day you go do what you got to do you come back later right you know that tension's kind of dropped you you talk to the person hey meet us down here you know you're gonna get arrested so yeah it 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 flows easier we don't have to make arrests on spot for a lot of the the investigations Yeah. But and then sometimes we was like DWIs and stuff, you know where, where yep. there, it is action taken. It is, you know, night hunting. You know, you're, you're going with me if you're night hunting. Yeah, you, so you,
2: you take that stuff seriously. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, night hunting is a that that's one thing I that I really want to work a lot more mm-hmm. of is is trying to detect a lot of night hunting because I think there's, I mean, with the amount of open space that we have in the state right. of Nevada, I'm sure there's a lot more of that going on than than we really know
1: right you know we just had we're at the international wildlife crime stoppers uh conference and we just had a presentation that wardens are really only detecting about one percent of poaching i mean that just blows my mind that blows my mind one percent that is crazy yeah just
2: to think that number it's like
1: yeah and and i (laughs) thought i had a good handle on things right you know but uh, no no we're one percent that is a
2: Daunting number.
1: And, and that's the that's the part we got to show share with our partners, too. Hey, you know, this is what's being affected to the sheep, to the elk, to right. the deer, to the grouse, to the fish.
2: And to anybody that listens, you know, to this podcast or any of the podcasts out there, you know, I mean, the sportsmen. I mean, that's the mm. big thing. Get that message out to the sportsmen if you see mm-hmm. any type of illegal activity going on. Mm-hmm you know, report that stuff right. to us, you know, find those operation game thief numbers or in our right. international wildlife crime stopper numbers, get those, Yeah, have those available, you mm-hmm. know, put them in your phone and, and call those numbers because we can't be everywhere no, we all need, at once. We need it would be people. nice if we could, Yeah, but you, using the people as a, as a, you know, as eyes in the field yeah. is am- amazing. I mean, a lot of the bigger cases that I've worked had it not been for people, you know, Taking good notes and, and mm. being a good witness, I mean you're you're not going to make some of those cases.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do you have a, another one on the top of your mind that you know maybe you get some information I, on?
2: You know, I do. I've got one that's that's actually going through the courts right now. I can talk a little bit about it, you know, and give give a few you know a few of the minor things about it. Um, mm-hmm. On it, but it was it's another border case. Uh, some individuals came from from out of Idaho into Nevada and they ended up killing two deer um, and I had excellent witnesses I mean they 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 sat and watched the whole thing you know the kind they didn't see the people physically shoot the deer but they seen them you know gutting the deer and and everything like that so they they you know my witnesses moved closer got pictures they were taking video um, they followed the suspects and they were. You know, able to get me the license plate. Uh, the suspect stopped at a, a pond inside Nevada, probably a mile, mile and a half south of the the Nevada Idaho border. Mm-hmm. They stopped at a pond so that the one guy could wash his hands off. And my witnesses got out and I mean talked with these guys. Mm-hmm. And that takes that takes a lot of mm-hmm. balls for somebody right. to do that, you yeah, know. And absolutely. I mean. It was it was amazing because when they when they stopped to talk to the people, people gave them their names, mm-hmm. and the names that they gave them were the right. actual names. I mean, they oh. were the right names. It was it was crazy, you know. But mm-hmm. like I say, that's the type of information that's right. that's makes makes our job a lot easier.
1: That, that's over the top information, right. actually.
2: Right. Oh. You know, and so. Those folks had one of the deer and they went back up into, you know, back up into Idaho and and the witnesses went back to the area where they'd watched them kill that, you know, drag that deer off the hill. They ended up finding a second deer that was concealed in brush. Oh, wow. And, you know, gave all that information to me. They flagged off a lot of stuff. They gave me good GPS coordinates. I was able to go in there. I I didn't get up into there until after dark, so I didn't really want to go in and mess up my crime scene. Mm -hmm. So I just camped. A little ways away from from where it was at, and in you the back do of my of mind, camping. I do. <laughs> in In that country, you, when you're out in the middle of nowhere like that, and you're two three or hundred miles from home, it's just it's it's easier to stay because it's wow. better than than traveling that back and then having to turn around and travel it again the next day. So you may as well just stay there. Wow! So I camped out in the cab of the truck that night. And I had this gut feeling. I had this gut feeling that the suspects were going to come back and take that second deer. Mm-hmm. I just had that feeling. And sure enough, I mean, daybreak, before before the sun comes up, I mean, right at first light, I'm, I'm going back into there so I can start processing the scene. Mm-hmm. And I can see the suspects' tracks on top of my truck tracks. And so I know that they've been back in there. And sure enough, I get there. The second deer's gone. Mm. Um, some of the flagging that my my witnesses had put up was gone. Um, luckily, the witnesses took good pictures mm-hmm. of the second deer. They took pictures of all the flagging and everything like that. I I mean, it just everything that they did made my job a lot easier. And I mean, it just made the case even that much better. Wow! And like I say, it's it's in the court systems right now. The preliminary you hearing able on to that recover one's that August second. Now you know we went and did interviews. I work. Mm-hmm. I work real close with Idaho. I've done a few cases with Idaho as far as border issues go, and and we've we've kind of got it dialed in now. Right. And uh, worked with them really well. We went up. We did investigations, interviews on on the suspects, and talked to them, and and they told us that they they took it up into Idaho, and they have no clue exactly where they were at where they dumped it, but they took it up into idaho and they kicked it out somewhere up in the trees Mm. is what they told us
1: right yeah like you said you'd hard to believe it's hard to believe Mm -hmm. especially
2: you know with people doing you know that type of thing yeah like you you know you take everything they're saying with a grain of salt because most of the time it's going to be a lie
1: right and I think you know the few the cases I've made that we never recovered the deer too because they confess to the deer because we have blood we have hair we have a, but they're, they're not going to give up where the deer is right because that that brings somebody else into the picture and they're not going to do that as they're much as gonna, we right and you know I, I hate not having the end yes I hate having that lingering and and and, and really knowing what happened but can't prove it.
2: Right. You know, and with those guys saying that they took it up into Idaho and they just basically took it out of the back of the truck and drug it down into a little wash in the tree somewhere and disposed of it. I mean, that right there is, it's, you know, okay, now it's a complete waste of game. You know, that's total disrespect to the animal. And, right. and that was one of the things that we talked with one of them about was, you know, what's what's in, in the eyes of the sportsman, I what's the number one thing that you can you know that you could do that's against the law and it's like you know leaving an animal to waste because mm-hmm. i mean as sportsman and, and as non-sportsmen you know right. you don't want to that's you don't want to leave that animal out there to waste right you don't want to leave it out there to rot i mean at least if you're going to kill that animal use that animal right
1: and i think you, you hit the nail on the head they're not sportsmen they're poachers no, they're
2: poachers yep. and that's what makes them different
1: and, and the guys that get all that information they're sportsmen Yes. Yeah. They're they're the good guys. They're the heroes in this, right?
2: You know, and that's that's the thing. Those the the people that had given me the information on this case, like I say, I probably would never have made this case hadn't had it not been for the information that they were able to give me, and mm-hmm. and with them physically talking with the with the suspects after everything had went down, it was. It was amazing. Like I say, it took a lot of took a lot of brass for him to do that.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because
2: <laughs> I mean, you, you know as well as I do, being a game warden, you know, usually we're the ones that are contacting people mm-hmm. like that out there in the field, and and we're usually doing it by ourselves. And I mean, yep. it's it's a it's a nerve wracking thing because you got all kinds of firearms that are there. Mm-hmm. You don't know what these what these people's motives are for doing what they do. Right. So. Yep. For for. Witnesses to do something like that—that that takes a lot of brass.
1: It does, and and then my hats off to them, and thank you because that's right. the type of help we need. Because like you said, we can't do it all by ourselves. That's myself. the information we we're looking for. A- exactly. Any yeah.
2: of that information, it helps us. Yeah. Uh, that nine, much more.
1: Nine thousand square miles you're covering. Nine. Nine thousand. You know, uh, uh, someone should wrap their their head around that because I think you can fit the state of Rhode Island in that you know yes. 9000 square miles it's it's you know ra- wrap your head around what nick has to cover as a game warden <laughs> or did is just phenomenal and yeah, now i'm
2: sitting at about 5500 square miles 5000 so almost mile. half of what you used, to almost cover. half of what that's, I was used to covering.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, you know, I thought I had and a big patrol big. area, and yeah, I I, I didn't even hold a candle to that, as well as the violations that occur in that, especially during the hunting season and when things are active. Right. Yeah. Uh, you got to be but everywhere. But the nice thing
2: is, I mean, with the quotas that we have, you know, you, we don't have near the amount of people in the field as gotcha. say some of the western states mm-hmm, do. You know, right. I mean, where some of the eastern states have have you know millions of people out there on on opening day or or whatever the case may be we only have you know a thousand two thousand people in the field on opening day in mm-hmm. in certain places so yeah for it's what, a lot less 31 wardens. yeah
1: yeah, and, and don't forget those uh, guys that are crossing the borders to hunt. You know, right? And,
2: coming, uh, coming from another state, yeah. just trying to trying to catch a little bit of that greener grass on the other side that's, of the fence.
1: That's right. You're only detecting one percent of what's only one percent of that, and that's yeah. that
2: was one of the big things that you know that I told my lieutenant as uh, I was like, we really need to start working some projects up on up on some of these borders because I'm like. We've, we caught two, we had two cases that we, we had last year. One was during the archery season and, uh, end of August, beginning of September. And then that, that case that I worked in October and I'm like, that's just two cases. Mm -hmm. There's your 1%. Yeah. Two cases. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine the Mm. amount of stuff that's going on on those borders that we're not detecting?
1: I can imagine. So, and hopefully everybody listening to this can imagine too. Right. So, No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, similar happened in New Hampshire. We hadn't worked our Canadian border in eons because it opened the same day as the New Hampshire moose season, and we were always right out straight. Right. So one year it didn't, and we jumped on it. We had some federal funding. Um, We worked with the feds, uh, the Border Patrol, and, uh, you know, we scored. We made a huge, huge case that just went through Canada, you know, and and put out that message is, hey, they're on the border again. Yeah.
2: We're we're watching.
1: When back, you know, in the 70s when they started this uh, moose hunt, that, that was a detail that state police was involved with, Vision Game, was the moose hunt, and they used to work the border Hard because of the the influx of people trying to get across the border right. to the greener side of New Hampshire. Yeah. So it was, um, yeah. So the border border issues are huge because I mean so important. To wild animals,
2: wild animals don't care nah, where the border they are. Don't care. They they they'll the they'll grass cross, may be greener, cross greener cross on the other side. Right. <laughs> they'll cross borders whenever whenever they feel pressure from one place to the other. Yep. They're they're going to move to where they don't have yep. the pressure. Well,
1: one day it's a Nevada elk, and the next day it's a Utah right. elk. So Right. Uh, yeah. It's it, it, that's know, pretty funny. They
2: know. They know where they know where they're safe at, you know, and they know the times of the year that they're safe and and you know, up in that country on the the Nevada Idaho border over there and it's it's uh it's called Area 8, you know, a lot of people in the state of Nevada know where Area 8 is. It's kind of one of the premier premier places to hunt mule there in the state of Nevada. They we only give out I think for the rifle hunt we only give out 45 resident tags and i think five non-resident tags over in there so i mean not a lot of of tags given out in there and it's mm-hmm. it's kind of a trophy hunt uh archery hunt over there doesn't start until november the muzzleloader hunts kind of the end of november beginning in december and then the rifle hunt starts in december so the big thing is a lot of them deer come from southern idaho and they they migrate down through there. So mm. it's kind of almost like a migratory hunt. I mean, there still are quite a bit of, um, resident deer that live in there, yeah. but you're getting a lot of, of deer influx coming from Idaho. Mm-hmm. That's pushing out of Southern Idaho and they're coming in Nevada to winter. Um, so that's, you know, but knowing that mm-hmm. archery hunt doesn't start until November. So, and North of the border, their rifle hunt starts in October. Right. So anytime that you're seeing somebody chasing deer around in the state of Nevada in Area Eight with a rifle, you pretty much know that there's no Nevada hunt going on right now. Right. Oh, well, that that makes it easy for you. It does. It makes it <laughs> a lot easier for us. That's why I say, you know, I think it'd be great to to be able to work some of those projects on those borders and see how much more we can detect. Right. And hopefully raise that, you know, percentage from one percent to five percent or ten percent you know it'd be amazing
1: yeah and you gotta have an awful understanding wife because uh it sounds like you just you know you're out there you're 300 miles away from home you're pulling up and sleeping for the night and i bet you don't even have a cell phone signal so you can call her and tell her that you're gonna be spending the night (laughs) so you don't show up home she's getting used to you being out oh it's hunting season he's probably gonna do something he's sleeping in his truck right Jeez, that that that's <laughs> something, you know. I I always used to try it. My wife was understanding, but I try to give her a call, and generally I had a cell phone signal, right?
2: You know, and I mean, in some places the cell phone signal is getting to be a little bit better. Um, out in that out in that country, there's there's some places where I can get it, and luckily that time I was able to to call her when I'd gotten the call that uh, that that was going down. I was able to call her and told her, hey, you know, I'm probably not going to be home tonight. This this you know, I've got this going on, and it's I'm 300 miles from home. Mm. I may as well just stay here and 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 the work. The amount what of time to, to
1: drive home and drive back, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that that that's something. Yeah, i you know, haven't wrapped. I, I think the the Moose Case on the Canadian border is the only time we actually. Well, there's been a couple times that we've camped out overnight. So and that's uh, the
2: cool part, you know, with the the country that I patrol is is I'm constantly doing campouts. I'm my wife would would attest to it. I mean, I'm I'm out and I get into places and it's like, you know, I I, I don't want to go home and yeah. then have to turn around and come back up. And it sucks sleeping so in the truck. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot easier if I you know if I just plan. Hey, mm-hmm. I'm going to go up here and I'm going to work this country for two or three days. I'm mm-hmm. just going to camp out. Cool thing is I work really well with the Forest Service. I've got access to Forest Service cabins. Nice. That are up in some of my patrol country. So I I you know. I can mm-hmm. stay in in a little piece of God's country, yeah, for a few nights and and enjoy myself. And That's great. Run That's into great. a lot of hunters.
1: Yeah, nope. And you're, you're there. You drove there. No sense in trying to drive back because you spend all your time in the vehicle, right? Yeah, right. Nope. And then enjoy the enjoy the outdoors, enjoy this vast Nevada country because it's wild and it's beautiful. It yeah. is. It is. You so know, and there's there's places in here.
2: Nevada that that a lot of people think of Nevada. You know, they they think of Vegas. Yeah. Or desert you know, and oh, you're, you're from Nevada, you know, yeah, and yeah, yeah they, they think it's desert country, you know, and mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of it is. It's a high desert, mm-hmm. um, lots of sagebrush, lots of vast open country. Um, you get up into some of my patrol country and you get into you get into some, some really absolutely beautiful mountains. I mean, I don't know, you know, how many people listening to this would would have visited idaho up around salmon or chalice or anything like that but the jarbage mountains look a lot like salmon idaho country i mean it mm. looks it, it looks nothing like what a lot of people would picture nevada it's it's kind of a hidden oasis and mm. i kind of love it that way I, I you bet. Know? I bet. a lot of people come into nevada and they go man there's really nothing here and it's like you just you, you need to get off the the main road Mm. And you'd be amazed at the oasis the little hidden gems that are in the state of Nevada. Yeah. You know, the Ely country is the same way. Uh, some mountain ranges down there. I mean, you're, you've got mountain peaks that are reaching 12,000 over 12,000 feet. So you've got, you know, all those brush zone, you've got sagebrush, and then you interchange into, you know, some mountain brush zones with mountain mahogany and things like that. And then you get into the timber country mm. and then, before you know it you're up into the alpine and the subalpine you get up above timber yeah and a lot of people don't don't know that that's there
1: yeah uh, i would agree I would agree. I never knew so much about Nevada till I got here, and uh, now I want to spend some more time and do some more exploring and right. get into that country you just described. Because yeah, you got me all fired up. It's, uh, like I
2: say, it's a little piece a little piece of God's country. Yeah, it's uh, I call the garbage. I call it Nevada's little piece Idaho, yeah. just because it reminds me so much of, of a lot of the country in Idaho that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a it's a gem and just absolutely beautiful. Plenty of plenty of trails inside the wilderness a lot of hiking that you can do. I mean, you can spend days in yeah. that country.
1: Uh, well, you're a great ambassador for your state, Nick. I will say that. And <laughs> you can tell the pride of being from Nevada and being a game warden in Nevada. And uh, Yes. You know, anything else you want to share? Anything else? Because, you know, it's as much of your podcast as my podcast <laughs> uh, for people to listen to. I mean, you're going to have a big bunch of people heading for your country in Nevada after that description, man. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. You know, the biggest thing that I can say is is enjoy you know your time spent outdoors Mm. you know a lot of people it seemed like they make it it's it's almost a burden to them in in some instances and it's like man just just sit back relax and enjoy your time outdoors you know and 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 if there's people that are listening that that are looking at becoming a game warden i can tell you you know there's there's plenty instances we're not we don't make a lot of money, Mm. you know, and a lot of us that do this job, we don't do it for the money. Right. You know, we do it because we love what we're doing, you know, and and we have a passion for what it is that we're doing. And we have a passion for the wildlife and we want to, we want to do our part to help protect the wildlife for future generations, to be able to enjoy the same things that we enjoyed growing up, Mm. you know, and, and my big, you know, I'd like people to just, to, to take their time and and enjoy what you know god has created mm. the nature that's out there the wild things that are out there um take pride in those mm. you know and 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 try to try to show the judges and the district attorneys and the legislators how important wildlife is mm. because if we you know if we're not the ones out there doing it who's going to do it and and before long we're not going to have any wildlife
1: right B- very 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 well said and uh all i can think is you know come get wild in nevada and not just in vegas you right know? right because um, there's so much more there so hey I- i've really enjoyed this interview this podcast nick nick brunson uh, i enjoyed being here game warden nevada you know just uh, th- an awesome opportunity to talk to you so thanks thank you Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch
0: anglers search for the one they call king but who will take his throw tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv i'm will cooper and you're listening to hunt stands make your mark podcast on the waypoint podcast network stick around as i bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life